Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, my lovely squishy friends. How are you? I hope you're doing well. I hope you're doing better than the audio on this podcast you're about to listen to. I don't know what happened. My producer doesn't know what happened. Nobody knows what happened, but at some point, um, fairly early into the episode you're about to listen to, there's some audio fuckery. It's not great, but there is really no way to reproduce what happened, and I'm just going to ask for you to bear with me while you listen to this next fabulous episode. And hopefully we will not have a repeat of that. I don't I don't know what the fuck went on. You know what? Shit happens. There was a full moon eclipse. There was some sort of, I don't fucking know. Anyway, please enjoy the episode as best you can. You audiophiles may cringe and hate life, but I think you'll get over it. I love you. Please stay squishy. No, seriously, stay squishy. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. All right, bitches. Welcome to the All That Mill podcast. I have a special, special, special guest today. I'm super excited to introduce a friend of mine who I have known since I'm a little fucking kid. I think maybe kindergarten? Mm, first grade, First I grade, yeah. at least? First grade. Definitely first grade. Definitely yeah. first grade. And... I will say, while I was in the UK, I got a text message. I think you messaged me. Probably, yeah. And it was like maybe 2 a.m. in the UK. And he's like, yeah, so my book just dropped. And so I went on Amazon Kindle and pulled it up. And unfortunately, it was under 300 pages. And I have a lifelong commitment that if a book is under 300 pages, I read it at one time. I just read it in a go. It's one of my superpowers. It's just how it works. And so I was just like, God damn it, it's fucking two in the morning. It's going to take me several hours to read this book, but that's all right. And thankfully, it was fucking badass, so I did not waste my time. And I just spent all night reading it. Several times had to get up to throw my phone and yell. (laughs) (laughs) So I am super delighted to introduce the anonymous author of... Seek the Risk. A new book you can find on Kindle... On where else can post? Uh, right now, it's only on Amazon. Paperback and Kindle is on Amazon. Very good. And I will say, first and foremost, to identify my friend, he is in fact a Caucasian individual. He's a white guy. <laughs> and so you might be thinking, okay, do I really need to read another revelatory novel, another you know, navel gazing wankfest from cisgender, from cis head white guy? And <laughs> You do, actually, because unlike so many books in this genre, it is so fucking brutally honest, dude. And this was the thing that really got me, is that so often when I'm reading things, because of my own neurospiciness, like, I can just feel when things are shit. 
I can just look at someone and know they're full of crap. And what was really remarkable to me was that at every point throughout this reading this and experiencing it, I truly felt like I was really hearing you share your shit. It did not feel like artifice. It did not feel like you were positioning yourself to be cool. It did not feel like you were showing off. And in fact, you called yourself out and brought yourself in on all of those points. It was really great. So I would love to hear a little bit about why you wrote this. It was an accident. I, I didn't. <laughs> I know, it was an. It was an accident. That's the best reason to write a book. It really Whoops. is. So many, like everything in my life has been an accident. It's just like something happens, and I go, oh, "Let's just go that direction." But I, I want to back up one second yes. and say how nervous I was sending you that text really? that I wrote a book. Hey, and I wrote, well, you're a brilliant writer, and I've read what oh, you've written, dude. and I've and I've seen you perform, and I've Not obviously I've life. known you my whole life, and you. I've heard you speak. And you're one of the most brilliant people I know. And I was like, oh, fuck, she's going to think it's shit. No. Uh, I was like, just send it, send it. Finally, I sent it because I just, I, but I was so nervous. And when you came back and said, and when you came back three hours after I had texted you and you said, I love it. And I was great. How far did you get? And you were like, I finished it. I was like, I only texted you three hours ago, bitch. <laughs> Did I mention that we went to a school for gifted kids? Yeah. <laughs> no, so we all—it's it's like accident. it was like a, what is that? Like the X Men, the school for uh, Xavier. Xavier, you're right, Xavier. <laughs> so anyway, I, I just want to give a little backstory to that Thank text because there was a lot more going on that you wow. probably didn't know about. Yeah. But yeah, why did I write it? It was—it was an absolute accident. In the book, the, my wife starts a blog, and she asked me to do some guest posts, and one of the guest posts I did was about coming out as open, mm -hmm. as uh, being public about being in a non-monogamous relationship, and it was just this little essay I wrote, but she published it, and I'm not a writer or anything, and then a couple years later, I kept thinking about it, and I was mm -hmm. like, you know, let me, let me expound on that, because there was a lot more to the journey I went on around yeah. the non-monogamy, and so I ended up, I wrote a, like a 10-page essay, okay. and then filed it away in the file system and totally <laughs> forgot about it. And then during pandemic, yeah. a friend of mine was came out to Colorado where I was and we were snowboarding together and he had recently opened up his marriage mm. of 20 years and was struggling. Ooh. And so we were talking back and forth and he actually is a writer. Yeah. And then I said, you know, I wrote an essay about this whole journey I went on. He's like, oh, I'd love to read it. And yeah. I was like, ah, I don't know, I'm not a writer. He's like, no, nah, let me read it. So I sent it to him and he was like, dude, you have to turn this into a book because you read it. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, it's pandemic. I'm not working. What so the fuck else do I have What the fucking else do I do? So I just started writing. Is it almost like a, just because I had nothing else to do. That's and fantastic. two and a half years later, I had a book. Yay. So that's, I, I didn't set out to write it. Yeah. But if I had set out to write it, if I, knowing then what I know now, mm -hmm. I would have done it because of the healing process wow. that writing did for me and I don't just mean healing from any kind of relationship but I'm talking about healing personally mm -hmm. and and so I got so much joy out of writing this book and getting my thoughts down and and deep, diving deep into myself like I had previously done but doing it on paper mm -hmm. is a very different experience yes. and I gotta say I was forever changed in a good way mm -hmm. by writing this book it left a permanent mark on my soul wow. and I mean the book is about seeking experiences and the writing of the book was in itself that same in that same vein. It was doing something I absolutely sucked at and had to learn how to get better at it. And I'm lucky enough that I've done well enough I could hire people to teach me how to write. I took a writing class. Yeah. And yeah. So that's it was if 
I just can't believe how happy I I got writing this book. Amazing. What an amazing side effect. Yeah. And I will say also one of the side effects that I found amazing because I went into it expecting to read about freaky sex and the ups and downs of that and also found a profound connection to your connection to nature and extreme sports, which is something that I had not only just not an interest in, I was just like, what sort of idiotic... What? I was like, this is like a thing. White people are just like, my life is not dangerous enough. I'm like, be black for a week, okay? Y'all would not need to fucking climb fucking mountains when you're just worried about a fucking cop on the corner, right? I was just like, just like really going out for it. But what was so remarkable was reading your descriptions of it, and I, and I see it was part of the... I hate to use the word device because it has a potentially negative connotation, but just straight up in the terms of the devices utilized in order to make the story alive, the juxtaposition between your adrenaline junkie lifestyle and this really hooked me into it because as someone who has done BDSM and kink shit, which is definitely extreme sport, oh, right? Yeah. But I always justified it by saying, well, it is a risk, but it's like a moderate risk. Like, I'm not going to die if someone throws a whip badly. I could have a broken bone. I could have severe bruising. I could have internal bleeding. But I'm not going to die if I make a mistake, as you describe your near-death experience. At least one. I'm sure you've had others. <laughs> um, been a couple. To realize that that was part of your makeup and the why really illuminated something for me and then I was able to look at your sexual journey and your exploration of uh, your own boundaries and pushing your boundaries and the way that you did it in such an open and childlike way where you were genuinely <laughs> just like let's just see what the fuck happens which is what kids do yeah. which is why kids are fucking awesome and which is part of the reason why I appreciate that part of myself because I'm still like that like I've never I've never, I've never lost that because I'm like, I still feel like I'm about 12. I'm just like, fuck it, just do it. Just do it. <laughs> Someone should use that as a slogan. Just do it. <laughs> and to make it clear, I want to also underscore the fact that your now former wife um, was part of this process for you. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Um, well, it's interesting. Um, I try not to give too much of the book away, <laughs> but when uh, when I started writing, we weren't talking because um, oh, yeah. our separation was was fairly fresh. Mm -hmm. But uh, eventually, we we started communicating again. And then when I let her know I was expounding on the essay she had read mm -hmm. six years earlier, yeah. she was all about it. I got to say, she yeah. really was incredibly supportive. She is a writer as well, and she thought I had a really good story to tell. There was a lot of healing that went on with both of us, and I mean, she has admitted a lot of things to me, and we've had some really good discussions around it, so it was, it was part of the healing process for right. me. Not intending to, it just became part of the healing process. And, you know, when someone knows you as well as we know, she and I know each other, she also held me to account. When, she, when I was bullshitting, right. she was like, this is bullshit. You're, you're bullshitting. Come on. I was like, yeah, all right. That's a good point I am. So I feel very grateful that, that she was involved at the level she was. It's really great. Yeah. It's really very good. And I will say, again, not to give too much of the book away, but it really very much is a study in this somewhat unexpected dynamic of a couple who have an open relationship and are doing the open relationship thing. And the issue is that one person really has a far 
more radical idea of what openness means than the other. Mm -hmm. And the presumption often is that it is like men out there doing the like psycho beast must consume all candy with both <laughs> hands at all times attitude <laughs> when it was her. It was her, yeah, it was her and not me. And, and it's funny when, you know, in the book when we, when we meet and we're sort of getting to know each other and we're talking and I'm here, oh, I, you know, let me tell you, let me tell you what I've done. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> you've, you've had threesomes. Aww. Welcome to my Sakaki party. Exactly. <laughs> so it was really remarkable for me. What was funny for me is that I'm reading it, and I'm also reading it for other people because it's how my brain works. Because for me... I have no issue. I'm, I'm like, okay, you want to fuck everyone at any point, any time, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Great, fine. I don't have any reaction to that. That doesn't freak me out. That doesn't upset me. That doesn't make me go, oh, what a hoe, or whatever. Where I started having the issue was the way it was dealt with within the dynamic of your relationship. And that was where I started the phone throwing. <laughs> <laughs> because for me, as someone who has spent a lot of time thinking and studying and talking about negotiating relationships, right? Like this is something as a kinky person that is core to who we are. Like you sit down and you make time and you're like, how are we going to do this? How is our dynamic going to be? Like if you're in a power dynamic, for example, and seeing a non-kink couple where it's not about power exchange, it's about like how you're living your lives. We need to have arrangements in place. And seeing what was for me a lower than I would have liked level of empathy <laughs> for the person who is struggling you in the both. relationship. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so maybe it's because I'm a squishy heart person, but my thing is, who is the person who's struggling more? You give them a little more. You know, mm -hmm. like if someone in a relationship is having a problem with something, my thing is like help them out. Mm -hmm. Help them up. Help them to see where their problem is versus what this seemed to be, which was someone who was a very powerful woman saying, get your shit together, you pathetic man. Okay. <laughs> she never used the words pathetic man, but she definitely <laughs> said get your shit together. She did, but yeah. there's several quotes where she's like, oh, your poor widow male feelings sort of thing. Uh, it, that's right. Oh, you, well, she says, oh, you poor men with your fragile egos. Yes, uh, and, so, and, so fragile's not pathetic. Yeah, you're I right. Um, and, <laughs> and, and that was very early on in our relationship. But, you know, it's funny. She and I have, have talked about this. Mm -hmm. And we were both the right people for each other yeah. at that moment. I'm something of a masochist, not in a BDSM way, but in terms, well, no, in a physical way. Like, oh, I like... Ah, with, this also ties into... So, right, so the extreme sports. Mount, mountain climbing, like extreme mountain climbing, requires a certain amount of self-flagellation. I mean, like, you are just... It is suffering yes. to an extent. And when you're training for such events, you are... It's, you know, the, the Eastern European coach who screams at me that I suck, I'm going to die if I don't train harder, you pathetic little man. That's the coach that works. <laughs> that's the coach that works best with me. So in this particular situation, her coldness right. of like, get your shit together. That actually works way better with me than someone who goes, oh, let me hold your hand while you get while you get through. Like, yeah. that just doesn't work for me. The flip side of that was if I had been someone who needed hand holding. She would have walked. No, well, and, 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 and that never worked. Right. And so, well, and, you know, then that's her failing, or well, I, I'm not going to comment on that. I'm not calling it a failing. Like, to right. me, 
when people have different approaches to how they cope with dynamics, right. it's not a failure, it's a mismatch. But in this case, it absolutely was a match because her, her, the way she thought, her complete lack of empathy mm -hmm. forced me to turn the mirror inwards in ways I probably wouldn't have if I'd been with anyone else. So you find that as a benefit? I, in this particular situation, it was a benefit. I, I, and again, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> suggesting that lack of empathy is a good quality to have. I'm just saying at that point in my life, in this relationship... Yeah. It it did work, That's and it was the it's right. Not that she was like a sociopath. It was no, like in regard to this particular aspect of your relationship, right? She was not super sympathetic. And and I talk about in the book her yeah. background a little bit of why she was yeah. that way. You know, she she had her own issues yeah. uh, growing up, and I respect that. And we you know we definitely had a different childhood. Um, but uh, yeah, she was sort of fed up with guys trying to control her. Like, no, you know, men always try to change me. I'm a slut. This is what I like to do. You can't deal with it, and you want to be with me. You got to solve that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm laughing because she is literally the only uh, of the people I know personally. The other two people I know who are at the level where she is, you know, at that degree of true freedom, are men. Mm -hmm. And I have observed them. And the thing is that what's fascinating is that they are both on the sensitive new age guy snag spectrum of masculinity, <laughs> which is hilarious to me because I know that that was part of, there was a discussion in the book about your journey and finding out where in the spectrum you sat right. and where was comfortable for you and what was not comfortable. Because especially the public aspect of that is what is difficult. Right. You know, if you are someone who's like, yeah, you know, if, if my partner is having sex with other people, that in and of itself was not your was not your sticking point. Like, it didn't seem the fact that she was having sex. I mean, how it was brought up to you, it seemed like that was... But, but, and I mean, yeah, both, both were an issue, and I had come from... I had come from relationships where there was flexibility in that we might have another woman in the bedroom, or we might swap with a couple. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my experience. I had never been in a relationship where my girlfriend, wife, partner, was going out and having sex on a one-on-one -on -one basis with right. another guy. And yeah, that was... that. That At first, I was in the don't ask, don't tell. I don't want to know about it. I can't. Right. I don't want to think about it. But then, she is a person who was very public. She was a sexual activist. I mean, she's a sex educator. Mm -hmm. And she was very clear that if we're going to be together, this, this non-monogamy is public. Yeah. And wow, that was a real... That's when the journey really began, when I had to <laughs> consciously accept that and make the decision, okay, we're going to be public, and I'm just going to try and walk this line and see what it's like. And that's where the masculinity debate really began. Which is me. so fascinating to me, because the questions seem to always be framed in the, how can you let your partner, how can you let your wife, how can yeah. you sit at home while you, whatever. And I'm like, I'm so fascinated by this, because that language is language that I'm comfortable with in the master-slave community, <laughs> in the dominant and submissive community, but in the default world, when I hear people say that, I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. She doesn't belong to him. Yeah. He doesn't belong to her. They're having a partnership. How the fuck? Who do you think you are? And that enraged me. Like, that was my first phone throwing moment was other people like, are you a little machista? His what? I mean, it is this. I know. I mean, yeah, I gotta understand too. I'm coming from this world of competitive extreme sports, yeah. where you want to talk about agro male dominant kind of whose balls are bigger world. That's the world I'm in. And all of a sudden, 
everybody knows my girlfriend wife is out fucking other guys and they're like what here's, the fuck here's the thing that kills me at no point and because you won't be surprised i counted there were 11 instances through the book where there was a you know a mention of my my partner my girlfriend my whatever having sex without a man with no following up on the fact that you were also free to mm-hmm. and not just free to encouraged to Mm-hmm. Engage with other women. Very so, encouraged. And to. so, why are all of these men? Why have they patting you on the back, going, "Hey, man, you can go out and bang anyone you want as well." Why is it that it's fine for you to be out fucking whoever you want, but the moment your partner mm-hmm. is also fucking who she wants, it's a problem. Exactly, and I talk about this in the book. This all of a sudden, my eyes were opened to the hypocrisy mm-hmm. and how my the world looks at my masculinity based on the behavior of my female partner i'm like what the fuck is this and i'm like and not only that it's like shit i've been buying into this like oh my god like what the fuck like it was like you're looking at a candlestick your whole life and you see wait this is two faces it was just like oh my god i'm i was totally blind to this so you know in the beginning of the book when i'm presented with with this choice you know, am I going to be with this woman or not? And the book is about seeking the risk. It's about going towards the experiences in life, going towards the things that challenge you. And I knew, Jesus, this is going to challenge me in ways I can't even, I, I, I can't even fathom what's going to happen. But I know this journey, I'm going to come out the other side, a better version of myself. And, and that was the draw. I was like, I was gonna, I'm going to learn things. I'm going to see blind spots I, I didn't even know existed, and that's a perfect example of one. And I'm going to just give you another story. Yeah. Same guy, you know, in the book, there's that quote, you let other guys fuck your woman, right? <laughs> your woman. Same guy. Ten years later. Yeah. And we were in the car driving to a climb, and we started talking, oh, the book's coming out. Oh, no, this is, yeah, so the book is coming oh, out, I'm talking. And uh, he's one of my best friends, and he says, I really would like to have sex with other women, but there's no way I could, I could deal with my wife. Bubba bingo. Like, no way I could deal with my wife doing it. And, and he said, you're a stronger man than I. And at that moment, I understood, like, he had, in the 10 years, he had changed his, his vision. He realized his own, like, the fact that, and I had always like, oh, I, you know, the world looks at me as a weaker man. That was what I was dealing with at the time. And all the 10 years later, he's like, you're a stronger man than I. And I was like, you know what? I am a stronger man. I mean, in this particular, in this, in, in this instance. Yeah. And that felt really good, though, for someone who had started out as this, what the fuck to be like, wow, I, you're well done. You're really, you're a lot stronger than I am. So that, it was just kind of cool journey that, that he went on. Well, and also you can see even before he's read the book, your relationship with him has shifted his perspective. Totally. You know, and that's, this, this is to me the reason to be open about your shit. Because there are millions of people struggling, feeling like they're the only ones with insert problem here. Right. And they never are. You know, one of the things that my um, storytelling mentor told me when I was first, I went to my first performance, you know, storytelling for a performance class a billion years ago. And she is an amazing um, Cajun woman from Louisiana, amazing fucking riveting storyteller. And I was struggling with whether or not I should talk about kink. I'd started off doing most of my work about childhood shit because I got hours. I got like 18 solo shows I could do just about like 
ages zero to 16. And I said, I don't know that I should talk about this because it's really specific. Most people haven't done this. So I feel like I have to go and explain so much before I can even talk about what's actually happened because no one's going to know a safe word or a dungeon or a St. Andrew's Cross or, or any of these terms. And what she said was, the more specific, the more individual, the more personal, the more universal. And that is so fucking true. And I found that with BDSM, I found that with addiction, I found that with everything, with weird sex, every relationship. The more I talk about the weird thing that happened to me at 4 a.m. on a street corner in South London, everyone's like, even if they haven't had their heart broken in a roundabout in South London at 4 a.m., they have had their heart broken. They have been away from home. They have had someone they love look at them and, and, and destroy them with three words. You know, like everyone has this universal thing. And humans seek connection. And this is what's so fantastic about this story, the story that you reveal here, is that everyone reading it will find themselves somewhere. Even if they find themselves on the side of your, your friend who was like, how could you let yeah. your woman fuck someone else? So everyone will find someone of themselves here. If it's the folks who have had partners who can't keep up with their sexual exploits, if they had tried to keep up with someone else's sexual exploits, and it might not even be sex, it could be anything. You know, like if you had a partner who was like, you know, I want to stay at home, that would be miserable for you. Yeah. You know, so all of these things, the sex part is very juicy. It's very impressive. <laughs> but it underscores how yeah. we need that connection and how we need to have those things in common and how difficult that journey was. Like, I can't, how long were you guys together for? Uh, about nine years, nine, ten years, nine, yeah, ten so years. That's a, that is a chunk. Yeah. That yeah, is a, that is a real. solid, fully realized relationship. Oh yeah, you know, and uh, and a successful one. Absolutely, absolutely successful. I mean, successful beyond my wildest yeah. dreams. Forget the fact that the relationship was good. What I learned about myself yeah. in the relationship, and which is obviously expounded upon in the text, <laughs> I shuddered to think if I would have missed out on all that learning. And I also hope that folks who are at you know, points in their lives chronologically behind us, we'll pick it up and read it because it has so many lessons for ways to embrace and just jump on top of shit when you have the flexibility and just don't don't let things fucking pass you by. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that is the heart. The heart of the book is seek the risks, not the reward, right? You're, exactly. you're looking for the experiences in life. I mean, obviously, you have a goal you're trying to achieve, whatever that goal is, but it's it's the journey of getting to that goal that's where the real the real enjoyment, the real learning. And the, the, the harder it is to achieve the goal, the sweeter it's going to taste when, mm -hmm. when you get there. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because I, I have a, you know, not dissimilar parallel, but in the flip side, which is looking for a steady, solid relationship for myself within the parameters of a power exchange dynamic. And then also just saying, you know what, fuck it. If I can't have that, that's okay. Just having certain criteria and, and a baseline of the sort of person I needed in my life. And that was an 18-year journey. And it is not as though I was sitting on my ass for those 18 years. No, I was exploring. <laughs> you know, I had several really beautiful, amazing relationships that definitely got me to the place where I was ready for this. <laughs> and I mean, what world is I going to Experience. <laughs> because Georg is definitely an experience. And... 
I, I, I agree. I would not have been ready to deal with the sort of person he is had I not had right. years of other relationships that showed me what I did not want and showed me the things that did work. You know, and I was like, wow, this part is really great. This part is fantastic. And some of us were pushing boundaries as well. The last relationship right. I had before Dale was a long distance, Holly relationship with someone who was already married. And those were things that was like, absolutely not. Go fuck yourself. But the chemistry was so insane. And I very rarely have that chemistry with men. Like, there's, it's for, a, for me to feel submissive towards someone else, it's a lot. And it's not even like they just have to be super manly. It's just a chemistry thing. Mm-hmm. And generally, the men that you find in the BDSN kink and leather community uh, like to get themselves titles and presume that they are now going to be doms. And I'm like, you are not, because I can destroy you with my side eye. So I'm not really interested in you. You, you, have no, you, don't, you don't scare me, and you don't delight me. Like, you can do one of those two things to catch my interest. And so having had that relationship and seeing how pushing myself a little bit into something that wasn't on paper right, you know, actually led me to do what I needed to do, which was to end a relationship that was otherwise good because my needs weren't being met. And that was the final lesson I needed to learn because I needed to come into my relationship with Gail ready to look him in the eye and say, if you fuck me over, if you fuck this up, I'm out. I'm actually getting scared right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you're, you're looking in my eyes while you're saying that. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm not Gaylord. <laughs> but you know what's amazing is that his response to that was he started, he got teary-eyed and was like, thank you. Because I've had other relationships with him. His third wife literally married him so that she could be married to, like, famous composer guy. Because he was, like, on the way up. And she was like, I need, this is what I want. So mm-hmm. grabbed him, squirted out the kid, did the thing. So for him to have someone who said... I don't care about your lifestyle, you know, find your jetting all over the world, famous, weird composer. Don't give a fuck. Because if I am not going to bed and waking up feeling all right about who I am and who you are, this is bullshit. No amount of money, no number of hats, and this is saying a lot. No number of hats is going to buy my happiness. Hats can buy forgiveness. Well, well I'm, I'm just put that on paper. I, I'm all, yeah. <laughs> fair. <laughs> hey, you do have to live. <laughs> Uh, well, you were far. I'm finally where you, you're far ahead. You were far ahead of me. Now I finally caught up to you, and now I know what I want. But when yes. I when I met Jane, uh, all names are changed in the book because it's written anonymously. Uh, when I met Jane, I I had no idea. I didn't even really had really. I had some relations, but I didn't, I hadn't had like that uh, that that deep deep connection with someone. And beyond that, it was a relationship style i'd never really even so i was i was so far away from anything i knew and but it was risky and scary and those are feelings i understood and so luckily i had all these years of you know competing and participating in extreme sports i was like all right that's the only way i'm going to get through this is was looking back is using that parts of your life that apply to this challenge yeah you know that is incredible to say, you know what, I'm going to, how can I handle this? And then to draw on your experience and to say that this has emotional resonance for me. I've done this before. You, you know, pattern seeking, very human, but also something that yeah. we miss a lot. Fear, I, I understand. Well, I mean, you said something in a previous podcast, I don't remember which one it was, but you talked about uncertainty and how that makes you yeah. really yeah. uncomfortable. And whereas 
un- I try to exist in that place of uncertainty being, being okay, right? It's like, I think one of the lines in the book is, I need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because that's, that's, that's where you are in climbing or base jumping or extreme snowboarding. You're constantly in this state of, yeah, it's a little good. You don't, you just gotta, you, you gotta roll with it. You're not, you don't have that absolute secure sense of feeling when you're sitting on the couch watching television and knowing you're totally safe. So I had to take that, understanding that feeling and apply it to my relationship. This feels really scary and uh, I don't feel safe, but I've been in that, in that emotional state before, just not when, not when sex was concerned. I'm so mesmerized by that because I see the world as perpetually on the verge of destroying me somehow. Yeah, you know, like like when you mentioned sitting on the couch and you're safe, I'm like, um, I, I wish I could remember the woman's name, African-American woman who was sitting at home safe on her couch when the cops came out and served the wrong warrant. Sure, yes, you know, so absolutely. Horrible freak accident. It doesn't happen every day, but every day there is someone who looks like me who's just minding their own fucking business, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the thing. I, don't ex- I do not exist in a place where I feel safe and comfortable on flat ground walking down the street. Right. Because at any moment... Some white lady could decide that I, you know, molested her child and start screaming for police, you know. And so it's I'm, I'm so fascinated by the idea of desiring a relationship where uncertainty <laughs> is there waiting for you when you open the door to come home. Like that, I'm just like, even now, I'm just like, oh my God, 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 no. <laughs> you know, I also I also want to be clear that the the book is somewhat of a caricature of of my life in that I accent some of the things that are the good story and I have minimized. I mean, the relationship had a lot of really amazing things about the sex part. So of course that's yeah. going to be the focus. Sure, but I'm just saying it, there's a lot of really great. If it hadn't been so good, if the good parts hadn't been as good as they were, I, I probably wouldn't have had an appetite for for the journey. I, would I felt like that was clear. I okay, felt like good. me. I I felt like me. Moments that you landed on the ordinary stuff actually was where I really saw that. Right. You know, when you mentioned, I just thought it was so lovely, you just admiring her shopping in the yeah. supermarket. I was like, <laughs> see, that's so delightful. Yeah. That's like, that's what I want to hear from people about their partners. It's just their existence brings them joy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like this is, this is something I love about Georg. Like, I would never have expected some, like, you know, the little white Austrian dude would just be so adorable and sweet and lovely to me. And I'm just like, oh my God, I cherish this bastard. Like, I would like fucking cut down a fucking field of children to save his life if that's what was necessary. And it is the ordinariness. It is not, it is, I'm not in love with the fact that he is a famous composer. I'm in love with the fact that he can't find the milk in the refrigerator. <laughs> I'm less in love with it when I, I got my good position in the you know, lounge. Right. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm like, oh my God. Take a picture of the fridge and bring it over to me. Yes. I'm, I'm on the couch and I'm comfortable. <laughs> this is the reality of Diaz and no one knows. Is it actually right. like, I'm like, when the slave is resting. Right. He rests, okay? You've got to wait. We have breaks. We have the that. union, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna file a report. Maybe get off of this casual. We're goddamn tired. <laughs> what else do you want to say about this book? Actually? What else do I want to say? Oh, I, gosh, I, I don't know. You said you had tons of questions. I was like, what are the questions? I, 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 
Well, you probably understand. Well, the reason is because I actually like when you said, "Oh, I don't want to give it away." I'm like, "Oh my god!" A lot of my questions are pretty specific to stuff in the book. Well, that's so okay. Like, hey, I mean, give me stuff away uh, specifically about. That's you know what? If we have to give away, I, I, listen. Well, so for example, your questions are going to be probably super intelligent. Okay. So, so my uh, some of it is sort of generic because. Um, I want to talk about your experience of the sex party scene in New York mm-hmm. that I had a very miserable experience mm-hmm. in when I tried to enter in mm-hmm. um, because there was no room for fat brown people or older <laughs> people. Um, there were three parties that we were not accepted to. You have to send like your picture and a little thing about yourself. And wow. different times they just said, no, thank you. And that was really rough for me because I, you know, I have no self-esteem. <laughs> I have a little tiny, like, embryonic that I protect fiercely. And this is part of my recovery. And as an alcoholic, you know, self-esteem is a fucking thing. And in this scenario, especially because the only reason I was putting myself in this position in the first place was to try to find places for Georg to play and have fun. Like, I would never. It's not my shtick. I'm not a voyeur and not an exhibitionist. And so, you know, to be rejected by people I didn't even want to engage with. Right was so eviscerating to me. And then there was another uh, group out in Brooklyn. What is it? The uh, House of... Hacienda? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they were super excited and so thrilled. They were like, oh my gosh, please come. We're partying. I'm taking the whole thing. And then we wound up pariahs. We were, there were, there were, for example, the second half of the party, we found a little space in one of these rooms downstairs and we're doing a little spanking, like nothing super serious, just whatever. And person after person, group after group would walk into the room and take a look and walk out and just leave, you know. And then the room next door to us had a tiny white girl who was being tickled and um, 75 people had jammed in there to watch that. You know, and and I get it. I am not. I am not under any illusion that like a fat middle-aged black woman is appealing to the default majority. <laughs> I get it. Um, I do not lose sleep over it because I have someone who like cannot keep off of my ass or boobs. I'm fine. <laughs> I am fine. But it was so. It was so. I was personally humiliated. Mm. And so I'm wondering, like, that's, that's... as as the hot white guy who was attending oh, these gosh. parties. I don't know about that, but well, thank you. What is what is that? Tell, tell me about those experiences because this is an experience. When Derek talks about the experiences that he never had, I will never have that experience. I will never be at the party sought after by people. So I'm wondering how that felt for you. Um, <laughs> that's a rather embarrassing question, but uh, <laughs> well, you brought that shit on yourself, Mister Masochist. Um, <laughs> well, if you recall from the book, my first sex party experience was pretty horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I won't give that away. So, not going to say it was all roses by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it was. It, it was, was a learn. Crazy. It was a learning process, yes. and there was some emotionally. Like the party part itself was not the difficult part. Uh, I like that. Outside of your own uh, learning curve, let us say. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, being who I am at a party, yeah. or I mean, look, I I was with, I was with a woman at these sex parties who was on the more traditional desirable Absolutely. spectrum and and you know eastern european the tall thin slender right dressed right. really yes. well um and absolutely was a total slut yeah. right so very popular and being able to be at that party with someone like that 
meant that I had a certain cachet, which had nothing to do with who I was. It was just... Which is, again, yeah. fucking gross. At but some on the level. other end of the spectrum, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, would I have had the... Once now, again, the initial, the initial experience, as I was described in the book, is fairly terrible. <laughs> the book is a journey, and then the sex party experience... You're supposed to me that you had fun at sex. Absolutely, but, if you, but you, there's a chapter in the book called Hitting My Stride, which is once I finally transcended, you know, the three-year journey to get to the point where I was finally, okay, I'm doing this extreme non-monogamy at the level that my partner wanted, and I'm there now. And once I'm there, we're going to sex parties, and I'm describing the sex parties towards the end of the book of just fuckfests of, I mean, at this one sex party, I... It's actually, you know, it's funny, I toned it down. <laughs> but, so, so in the, in the uh, yeah, and I described the sex party where I had sex with six women at, at, at one party. And at one time, women are just taking turns on me, and I'm, like, kissing someone else. The reality is we went to two sex parties that weekend, one on Friday night, one Saturday night, and I actually slept with nine women over the weekend. So... Condoms. So, what was it like? It was unbelievable. Like, it was. It really was amazing. And, and once we, once I was in, in that zone of being very comfortable in my skin and being comfortable with my partner uh, behaving how she was going to behave, uh, and us being showing up as a couple, and also by then we had been going to sex parties for three or four years and had built up. Uh, there's a there's a obviously there's a deep community around it. Mm-hmm. In the, you get a certain reputation, so it was really fucking fun <laughs> going to these parties uh, um, like that. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. But at the same time, and I, you know, as I as I grew and transcended, I also realized that I started wanting that less and less. Mm-hmm. And I, I talk about the experience that one night with six women and being like, I would have rather had six nights spread over the entire year than just the mm-hmm. complete. In personally, I don't even know their names. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I remember one of them, and that's that's not that, uh, that's that's not where I want to be now. Yeah. At the time, it was fantastic yeah. and great. This is what I, this is what I told Garrick about, like the whole home face thing, because he definitely has a you know the sensation that there's a hole in his life that will never be filled because he did not have the opportunity to do these the whole phase, the sex parties, the crazy. You know, whatever, whatever. And what, you know, obviously we had different experiences, but my experience was it was fun for a while and then it, and then I was done. It yeah. wasn't, it wasn't as though this was something, and I, and I, and I honestly can't say it changed my life. You know, I honestly can't say that if I look back and I say if I had not had whole phase one, two, and 2.1, let's say I look out that there was 2.1, I think I would have still been fine. I think I would have still had a wonderful life and I still would have done the thing I wanted yeah. to do versus like sitting up on Craigslist every third day being like, who will I play with this evening? You know, it's funny. Actually, I, I'm not sure I would have been. Yeah. yeah, I'll disagree with you. I mean, I'll, I'll say, no, no. I'll, for me, I'll disagree with you. I me, yeah. Definitely I, I needed. Was my, my entire life has been, and I'm very clear about this in the book, I have this incredible fear of missing out and. Mm-hmm. On experiences, I'm just this. I, I want experiences, and you, you know, you speak about sex. Mm-hmm. My God, I want, I want all those experiences that I want. <laughs> There's definitely experiences with sex I don't want. Um, and I, 
I recognized, and I again, I'm very clear in the book that being with Jane opened a door that I knew I was going to have a lot of trouble opening myself. And having a partner who is committed to that level of sexual exploration mm-hmm. meant I meant lots of opportunities. So I, there was a Faustian bargain with this relationship for mm-hmm. sure. But uh, and I, I did care about her a lot. It wasn't just a Faustian bargain. But yeah, I I wanted that. Cre- I didn't want to look back and and be like, oh man, I I I missed out. I wish I had done X Y Z. And I will say this to your esteemed husband, I will never, ever be a world-famous musician. <laughs> and that is a hole in my life. So we all make choices. <laughs> it's, it's so, well, this, and this is what I find endlessly fascinating, is the value that people place upon sex, sexual exploration, and sexuality. And what's fascinating to me is that there's such a there's a break between what we say is okay in terms of sex and what people want and then what's acceptable and then what we share um um when gail came out for example and was like i want to talk about being kinky it was an entire segment of the contemporary musical that was like is this some sort of publicity stunt why the fuck are you talking about this you know whereas his point was i'm talking about this so that the next generation of people after me don't wait until they're 60 to free themselves. And that's the point, is that sometimes people do need permission, you need examples, you need people to show you. And this is why I told him, similar to you know, Jane in your situation, we can't be in the closet, we have to be out. Yeah, and bravo on Jane for being who she was. Yeah. I, I gotta say, you know, because of women like her and you, right? Because she's been able to conduct this relationship outside of the public eye, it would have been very different. It would have been very different. Uh, it absolutely would have been very different. It would have been a hell of a lot fucking easier. You wouldn't have had those conversations with all your peeps? You yeah. certainly would not. I was really judged. I was openly judged. Um, Here's the judgers, mm-hmm. did, you, did your opinion of them shift at all? The people who were judging you? Are they all still in your life in the same way? Um, well, I wouldn't say all the judges. How about this? I didn't lose any close friends due to judging. There are people I don't talk to anymore who judge me, but my friends, and I'm also clear in the book about how important deep friendship is to me. And there's a reason why I keep certain people around, and hopefully that's the same reason they keep me around, is because they're really quality individuals. And it's interesting how someone who's completely non-judgmental about everything in life, all of a sudden you talk about sex relationships, that non-judgmental goes out the window. Right. There are perverts who will, in the midst of perving, look at your perversion and be yeah. like, Ew. It's weird how Who's there's, that sex means, oh, you can be that thing you're not supposed to be. Uh, you know, oh, we can judge about sex because it's sex. Like, what the fuck? I can't, the thing is, like, when other, pe- when other sexual outlaws are judging you for, like, your type of sex, that's when I go, shut yeah. the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. hypocrisy. You know, so many perverts who are like, Play. I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you know who has never given me any shit about even talking about or doing kink that involves race and, and, and all that stuff? You know who's never given me any iota of shit? Vanilla people. Not one <laughs> non-kinky person has given me shit. Not one. That's interesting. Because they're like, well, it's yeah. kink, right? Like, that's where you do that freaky shit. And I'm like, thank you. Yes, yes, indeed. Except when it comes down to people's comfort level and this is the thing you it's clear you push the comfort level of what cishet men 
in America think manliness is. And yeah. clearly it also involves a proprietary hold on their part. Yeah, you know, and again, it was not, obviously, I never thought those words to myself, the words you, t- I never said, I never said to myself, oh, my masculinity is based on a proprietary hold on my partner, right? But I thought it, and yeah. I didn't, I did not realize, no. I had no idea, so I, call a mess. This is what, this and, is what and so, you just understood with sex, what I've been trying to yell at people about racism for, for my whole fucking life. You're so, remember those plum olive commercials? Dishwasher, you're soaking. You're already soaking in Pamela. You're soaking in racism. You're soaking in sexism. You're soaking in the subjugation of women. And so, why would you articulate that? You would not. Yeah. But it's so brilliant that, like, over the course of this relationship, that you saw that. Yeah. And that's what the the book is about. It's about seeing against it. Yeah. Seeing all those things. This is why the thing is so cool. The book is not just about you and sex. It's about fucking acceptance. It's about joy. It's about fear. You know, all of these things that are told through the lens of, you know, almost falling off a cliff and, you know, watching your wife get fucked by. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Which for me, like, for me personally, you know, as someone who does have kind of a little bit of a tough time with this, even on the even on the like nothing at all scale of he's going to go off and have like a play date with someone, um, but my main fear is 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 concern that someone will do something that will hurt him, that he will be sad, that he will be damaged, that his emotions will be will be negatively impacted, or that someone will will do something that will harm him. Because then I get just sit on the back end, um, having not had the fun at the sex party, and then I have a week to pull him out of the hole of his stress about the sex party, about the things that now I'm just like, oh my god, this is exhausting. Yeah. And and I guess if I were out doing the same shtick, it would this isn't part of the thing, right? When you are in an open relationship or any type of openness, it's very important for all people in the the queue, in the polycule or whatever it is in relation to be doing the stuff. It's very important. If one person is off partying and having a good time and the other person is not fulfilling that aspect of themselves, it's a really easy if they want to present and trigger. Right. I mean I, I can see relationships where one person loves to go out and go crazy, the other one just doesn't want to, and then I, I assume that's a okay, maybe? No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have not observed because here's the thing, if that's not in your desire pool, right. why would you be with that person? Yeah, and if it's in your desire to pool, but to a lesser amount, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Like that, yes, I think that that is feasible. But it should be. I think the the most optimal scenario is when someone says, "This is what I like," and the other person is like, "Hey, you know what? I like that too. Let's see how we can balance that so both of us are getting our needs met." For me, it's difficult because I don't have other people I'm playing with. I have made an effort. I, I did. I took. I took my time, and I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna." Because I'm also, I'm just so, it's not that I'm picky, it's that I just don't vibe well with people because I'm a fucking weirdo. And the last three times I have, like, worked up my guts to say, I think you're interesting and I would be interested in playing with you, I have been lovely, wonderful human beings, but turned down. And that's completely fair. But, like, at that point, my thing is, okay, I'm done. Like, I'm just not going to do this. I, 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 I don't do well with rejection. Um, so part of my thing is, I'm not doing it because it depresses me to get rejected. 
I'm just so done with it. Yeah, yeah, and so, it. you know, and, and, and the other stress is there's a stress in being approached. Because if someone approaches me and I'm just not feeling it, then I have to say no thank you, which breaks my heart. Because you have empathy. And I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, so it's, 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 I feel like I'm trapped in this weird corner. But it's really interesting to me. And, and so, and I did. I sat with that and I was like, is this part of a jealousy thing that, like, you know, am I looking at my gay or has people and I don't? I'm like, no, because if I wanted it and I shifted my, 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 my expectations, I could easily have that, you know, because there's certainly plenty of people. But I also, I'm like, oh, I don't really specifically need it. So my, my sort of quickliness is not coming from, because I have sat with it for years. I'm like, no, it's not a resentment. It's mm-hmm. not envy or jealousy because I, I absolutely love that he's getting what he wants. That is part of my service to him is to try to make sure that that happens. You know, so that's that's very important. So I, mean, I have such an empathy, and I, I I do. I have so much respect for the fact that you pushed yourself that way, and I feel like you were very. And once you, were, this is the other thing. Let me just say this: you were also unable to articulate what you needed. Totally. In terms of, and and, so, and, and yeah. so that is also underscored that because once you did say, like, I wanted a better answer, but I was like, all right, I'll accept this. I'm like, I'm not going to throw my phone. But <laughs> when you made some adjustments to how you were interacting with your debriefs of the sexual exploits. Yes. Right. When you said, this is how I want that to go. I was like, bravo, because this is what, this is what we do as parents. I know. I didn't, even, that, no I didn't even understand what was going on. Right. And this is the thing. And you would not have yeah. learned that had you not had that horrible stress. Exactly. Bad. Yeah, and there was the vision, the vision on the mountaintop. How, how, how long did that take for you to get to the point where you were understanding that what you needed was uh, uh, a time specific? Uh, that was about, about a year. Okay, so, so that's, that's yeah, that's about a year by the end. Because I mean, the book chronicles that first year of starting out super yeah. great and awesome, and then by the end. I am falling apart, and I can't figure out why, and I don't know what's happening, and I know she doesn't have a lot of empathy for the struggles around this. Right. And, I mean, what's really funny is until she actually was helping me in reading, reading what I wrote, she had no idea that I went through any of this. I was keeping it all to myself. She had absolutely no... relationship. You didn't talk about it. Well, when the relationship broke up, we didn't talk for a year. Oh my God. And and then she didn't she didn't found out all of this. Okay, listen, I'm, I'm about to slid into my advice shit. <laughs> One of the most amazing things I learned from my first kink relationship, the first dom I ever, you know, had a relationship with, is that when we were negotiating our relationship, one of the things that we negotiated was how the relationship ends. And when he brought this up, I was like, Why are we talking about this? We just met, we're just trying to figure out this is pretty I was like, it's pretty dark, don't you think? And he said, the fact is, this relationship will end. There's, he, I will tell you how. You will break out with me, I'll break out with you. We mutually break up. You die or I die. Those are the things. It will end. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck. And so he said, I would like for us, while we're in this good spot of enjoying, exploring, and you know, agreeing to these terms of how we're going to have this relationship... To also talk about how, how things are going to be when they end, because at that point you might not be in the best place to have sympathy and empathy for the other person. And so we Very had a call for the end of the relationship. That that, that might have been good. I don't, I given the way it happened, I don't know if it would have worked in our case, but who knows? But intention is important, right? Having the intention sure. to say, like, at the end of our relationship, 
part of it had to do with seeing shit, right? Because if you're living in the same city, you're going to see that person. You cannot avoid them unless you curtail your social life radically. Right. So we had agreements in place that, like, even if you're, like, crying in the corner and I can't deal with this motherfucker, we're going to tell somehow, like, even if it's just a matter of putting a post on, at the time it was alt.com, I'm going to so-and-so so that you can advise the other person that you are going to be there. There was also an agreement with, uh, like, a 30, 60, 90 check-in. And at any of those points, you could say, I'm not ready to have uh, uh, a debrief, but a debrief will happen. Mm-hmm. And you had up until, I think, six months to debrief. So the idea of just leaving in a huff and having no conversation. Could I have said fuck you and never picked up the phone? Sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, had the end of the relationship been, like, abusive or had something ugly happened, then all of that would be null and void. But I really enjoy the idea of the intention of sitting when you're feeling great about each other and saying, we may not feel this way about each other at some point. You know, and that could be transitory or it could be the end of things. Mm-hmm. And so when we get to that point, let's look back to this day and say, as people who respected each other at this point, let's exit this with some, you know, the, so that's a little tip. Okay. I mean, just to be clear, we, it was a mutual, like, let's just, let's give ourselves yes, some time. Absolutely. Um, and then, but the point that I was making is that, I wasn't sharing what I was going through, partly because I knew she wouldn't give a fuck, uh, but also because I didn't even understand what I was going through. And it took... Who were you talking to? Who was helping you? I was talking to an, a, a, a friend of mine, and I, I thank her in the back of the book. Her, just call her Chicken, because everyone's anonymous. Chicken. And we call her Chicken. Uh, and another friend of mine, DFG. And, uh, yeah, they were... There was a they were, woman in the book you mentioned who was an ex who it seemed like was very close to... It's Chicken. That's that chicken. chicken. That is chicken. In the book, in the book, I believe I call Sylvie. her Sylvie. Sylvie. Oh, Sylvie. No, she's yeah. Sylvie. Yeah. In the book, she's Sylvie. Um, and she was brilliant. I mean, she knew me really well. I'm I'm very close with all my exes. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's only one. Oh, the one who left me for Jesus. We're not. We don't talk anymore. <laughs> uh, so, but the point. Back to the point you were making about the fact that. I wasn't sure. I didn't even know what I needed. I didn't know what was wrong. I couldn't understand. I had this vision of myself as being this incredibly strong, tough guy who in every relationship I had up to that point, I had been the the sex guy pulling my partner along, my partner sort of pulling me back. And now all of a sudden I'm in this relationship where I am a fucking sexual novice. Like, this woman's sexual experience and her desires for the relationship were so far abar- above anything I knew that I was, I didn't, I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know how to navigate it. So, yeah, I was figuring out as I went along. And you know, this was 10, this is 10 years ago, 11 years ago at this point. Once I finally figured out, okay, this is how I need to have some guardrails around it. And we started having share time yeah. uh, when, because her, one of her love languages is telling me, explicitly mm-hmm. about her sexcapades. That was how she got closer to me. And But hearing those things were destroying me. So we had to figure out a way to sort of make that. I mean, I mean, I have to... Because, like, it's this delight they don't do no I know, but it's funny. I came home from one of my trips, and I come to the apartment, and I was like, whoa, why is the floor slippery? And she's like, she's like, oh, sorry, we spilled silicon last night, uh, silicon lube from the gangbang. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
Close friends. So we had this rule that she would only play while I was out of town. It was like a don't ask, don't tell thing. So I was just like, why is the floor slipping? Oh, great. There's a gangbang here. Like, okay. All right. So I'm looking at my annotations from the book. Um, there's a quote here that I fully comprehended the difference between wanting to do something hard versus wanting to be able to say that I did something hard. And this is part of the why. And why is at the core of so many questions that I ask people that I'm working with to ask themselves why. Why are you doing this? What yeah. is this for? Right. And this why in terms of your athletic exploits did you consider your own emotional safety at any point during this oh, absolutely i mean it was i i recognized that oh my god i am putting myself in unbelievable emotional risk by entering into a relationship with someone who i am very obviously falling in love with yeah and just has a completely different relationship with intimacy than i do <laughs> and i knew like holy cow and and you know the, the quote is is a you know I have some possession of my my partner's sexuality. Mm -hmm. Prior to her telling the world, oh, we have an open relationship, I had a girlfriend who is getting a PhD at an Ivy League university who spoke five languages, who was fucking gorgeous, who just was the most outgoing, intelligent, communicative. Everyone was like, oh my god, <laughs> jackpot! I was getting all this second party validation. Are you in an open relationship with so-and-so? And I'm like, wow, if I say yes to this, the entire world is going to know that she is now sleeping with other men. And all that second party validation that I had was going to be gone in an instant. And it, and it was. It was gone in an instant. So, and there was that, the, the, the quote is about, okay, being able to say I have this hot, like, versus wanting to do the work to be with this person. Am I climbing to be able to seem more masculine to the other people, or am I climbing because I like climbing? Yes. It was just a real visionary moment for yeah, me. Yeah, and this was, and this was, you know, in in in. Oh God, brain. This also plays into her why, which was part of the thing that I was having. I had a little bit of a hard time with. I'm like, I get wanting to fuck a lot, but this is a lot, a lot. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything I would want to do that much. Like, I wouldn't want to watch that much TV. I wouldn't want to, like, I just... But then there was a... You mentioned here um, that she craved sexual novelty and excitement, something she couldn't get from a novelist relationship, no matter how perfect their relationship might be. And I was like, oh, there it is. It's the new stuff. It's the, it's a new person. And that's it. And that's what I needed to hear. Right. Like, I, I was like, why would you... I'm like, oh, because it's, it's what is exciting is the exploration of a new body. Right. Because here's the thing. For me, I hate that. I actually am like, I want to bring people in. Like, my ultimate whole thing is awesome was when I had three or four people who I had fucked several times, and I wouldn't have to go and retrain them. I'm like, no, don't clamp down on my fucking cliff for half an hour. Like, and now I have no feeling there, and, and, and now this is useless. You know, so that for me was my, was my thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, great. So, again, this was an understanding for me. I was like, it's the novelty part. It's like any fetish paraphilia want to build a life where you can have that need met if it is a central need like right like and when it is obviously as it is for her she figured it out 
Yeah. Because goddamn, you are you have to fight against so much just to have a healthy open sex life. Period. Not to mention an extreme sex life, right? Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. You just talked about the fact that you were not sharing the difficulty with yeah, her. I was and not. I was like, how is this not like not just a red flag, fifty red flags fucking weaving in your face twenty four seven? The, the idea that here's the thing: if I if there's something I'm having a hard time telling Bjorn, I I literally cannot. Part of me doesn't function until it's said, and that's part of my bias. Whereas Georg has you know a, an abuse history, and now it's just that I'm fucking psychic, and I'm like, there's something in there. I'm gonna keep asking you until you fucking tell me what it is. And fortunately, that does not bother him, and he does not get defensive and weird. And after the fifth time, he's like, actually, yes. <laughs> There is something in that. Here's the thing. But that took me a long time to get to the point where I would push. I'm not a pusher. I don't. Mm-hmm. If someone's like, I don't know, I'm leaving be. I don't chase. I don't harass. I'm like, no, I need to chase and harass. Part of it is that I learned early from her that she had a lot of patience in a lot of other areas. Yes. Just in this one particular thing, no, you're a fragile guy. And that played into my whole thing. Well, I need to be a tough, I need to be a tough guy. You know, mm-hmm. she's right. I'm fragile. I won't let this fragility dominate me i'm gonna beat it and yeah at some level yes i agree now it doesn't mean you can't say i don't want my wife to fuck 10 guys a week that can be yeah i just don't want that if it's truly not what you want but what i recognize is that i want to fuck 10 women a week the fact that i'm hurt by her fucking 10 guys a week something there's there's something else there's something else going on here I'm like, I'm monoamorous because I trust yeah. polyamorous because right. monogamous and polyamorous are not aligned opposites, right? Because one has to do with love, affection, attention, and one has to do with relationship structure. Right, right. I see, so I see like, what you're talking about. So if about. you're polyamorous, you should be monoamorous. If you're monogamous, you can, you can be monogamous and still be polyamorous. You can be with one person and be in love with multiple people. We should precisely... Indicate what we're talking about. Otherwise, just miscommunication and sadness happens. So sad. Yeah. The rest of just is just the rest of the notes are just me being like, "That's so mean. How could she? You're not my friend." That's funny. She didn't hurt me. I mean, she did hurt me in certain ways. I hurt her in certain ways. But boy, did we both grow. Yes. And God, one of the greatest experiences of my life was this relationship. And then talk about destroying your ego and and any and learning how much you suck at things and and going to school and and writing it it was a journey in itself that was incredible it is really real this is this is truly authentic relationships are an extreme sport mm-hmm. and it's not through the faint of heart and i think that's part of the reason why so many relationships are so staying and tepid because it, it's it is living in that uncertainty there is that fear there is that moment of what am I doing? Is this okay? Am I going to be okay? Are they going to be okay? And it's stressful. And I do have a deep amount of admiration for the capacity that you had to live in that uncertainty and to um, accept it and to maintain your self-respect, even though it was a difficult fight. Thank you. You know, against other people who would stomp on it (laughs) for stupid-ass reasons. This is the thing that I really appreciate. There's no artifice. There's no, you don't at any point try to protect your, your rep. And by doing, by, by really... Definitely not. <laughs> but, but, well, you have nothing to protect against. Yeah. 
But so many people would see that as such, as another step towards vulnerability of saying, oh, look at this fucking cuck who are posting his pathetic... And I'm like, "Ah." or someone who explored and pushed themselves and found actual growth, right? Like, this this is... People pay thousands of dollars and spend entire lifetimes in therapy and don't get what you got from this. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I feel incredibly blessed. And, I, I, yeah, very lucky. And both of you are, you know, just thoughtful people who... I mean, to me, this is a measure of success, is that you can look at it and say, here's where I grew. You know, like, when people talk about both failed marriages or whatever, like, when I tell people, I'm like, your marriages didn't fail. They were just done. <laughs> they, they, they did what they needed to do in yeah, your life, yeah. and now they're over. If you make it a failure, then you're adding to a list that you don't need to be keeping. You don't need to be sitting there going, where have I failed? Please, stop. Just look at the fact that you succeeded for this amount of time. And then it was time for you to move the hell on. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, you succeeded in navigating some really difficult internal shit. And having an exciting and challenging relationship that ultimately was beneficial to both of you spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, like all of that. Like what the fuck, what, how is that not awesome? Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple things that I want to, that I want to add. Yeah, right. Right. First, I, I want to say that writing the book was one of the greatest experiences of my life. One of the hardest right. things I've ever done. And I credit a lot of that to my writing coach who was a friend of a friend and did me a, a bit of a favor. And so I want to, um, the Brad Wetzler, bradwetzler.com. Uh, if you, you are, um, we'll put it in the show notes. Do you have show notes or no? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, I don't do them. Dub, I, I, uh, I associate that. So if you have three, send them to me and then I just send okay. them to Okay, I will send them Because yeah. I suck at this shit. I always tell them, I'm like, I literally pay for the full quote unquote production package. I'm like, oh, I know. Okay, I'll send, I'll send it to you. You can send it to him. But anyway, <laughs> grabwetzler.com. And he's, if you're thinking about writing and want to work with someone who has unbelievable experience in the field, please. He, he did me such a solid. He changed my life. And um, so if you're thinking of writing a memoir and trying to learn how to write and need help, please reach out. He's he incredible. Like coaching packages? Yeah, he has. Yeah, he does. He does writing coaching packages. It was a gift to myself. Uh, and it was one of the greatest gifts I ever gave to myself was working with him. Uh, so I, I want to support that. Secondly, I want to say that I'm uh, one of the reasons I wrote the book anonymously is I was trying to write art that would stand on its own. I didn't want to promote myself. And, and Jane, I'm, I was totally fine being out, and Jane was totally fine being out. There were some other people in the book that I didn't want to So That was part of it. But also, I just wanted the art to stand on its own. I just wanted to see if I could take the artist out of the art and just make it about, not about ego, but about just producing something the world enjoyed. And one of the things that I'm not doing is I'm not doing commercialization of it. I am not out there, you know, advertising and that kind of stuff. So I'm looking for ambassadors. And anyone, anyone listening to this podcast for, uh, would like a free copy of the ebook, uh, if you email me two weeks after this, this, um, this uh, episode airs, I say, hey, I heard you on All That and Mo. I will email you a free copy of the ebook. And all I ask is if you read it and you like it, Please tell people about it. And that is how I'm trying to get it out and there. And if you read it and you hate it and you want to write an entire essay about why it sucks and post it on media and do that too because that's... Yeah, why not? That actually would be... Really yeah, you know, listen, there's no such thing as bad publicity. 
And you can find me at seektherisk.net uh, if you want to just uh, email me. Yeah. Sorry, seektherisk.net. If you email me at adam at seektherisk.net and say, hey, I heard you on all that in Mo. I love a uh, free copy of the ebook. I will send you a free copy. fucking do it. You know, people think that, like, I have this power to, like, motivate millions of people to do shit. Mm, Absolutely no. But I I would encourage you to do so because, A, you're not losing anything but time uh, if you decide to pick it up and look at it. And I truly believe that there is something there for pretty much any thoughtful person and definitely for any curious person who um, likes sex. And adventure sports. And And adventure sports. (laughs) Or if you don't like sex or adventure sports, you should definitely read this book. If you're like, why the fuck are people having extreme sex? Why do people jump off cliffs? Jumping off cliffs and climbing mountains and shit. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon.